If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hi, I'm Jason Bryant from the Shortime Wrestling Podcast and founder of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. Shows on the network are individually owned and operated, and those opinions presented and expressed may not reflect others, the sponsors, patrons, or the parent network. Find more shows about the greatest sport in the world at the Matt Talk Podcast Network at matttalkonline.com. Welcome to On The Mat. I am Kyle Klingman of Flow Wrestling, along with Andy, the Green Beret, Hamilton. And we have special in-studio guest, Jim Miller, 10-time national championship coach for Wartburg College. And part of the reason we wanted to have you in, Jim, was because... Last episode, we talked about how tough it is to win championships, not only just one championship, but then to, to go on and win multiple championships. So we're going to dive into that. But thanks to our sponsor, Cliff Keen Athletic. I walked over to the studio today and I wore one of my favorite pieces of gear. It's a, a great Cliff Keen jacket that uh, I absolutely stand by. It's an essential piece of gear, especially for an Iowa winner. So thank you to Cliff Keen Athletic. And I know you wear some of their stuff, Jim Miller. And I know that they're sponsors of the Gable Museum, where you're, where you're the director. And I got to think that uh, you got a little bit of love for them, too. For sure. Some of our best stuff, and I wear it often. And now, you know, one of the top names in wrestling. So, heck yeah. We have the multi-divisional national duels coming up. As we're talking about championships, you won seven national duels championships. When it was Division Three. before that, you actually had an opportunity to go and wrestle the Division Ones. Maybe talk about that first, what that was like as a Division Three program wrestling Division Ones at the National Duels before they actually split it out. Well, that was a heck of an experience. So, you know, I remember being at Nebraska University one year. We went to Penn State. We went whatever they, whenever we got invited, we went. But they had uh, the returning D3 champs, the returning D2 champs, and I think the NAI champs. I can't remember if, if I'm... 100% on that, but I, we went every year and of course you get, you know, we got, we wrestled some of the best teams in the country because that's who was there, the best teams in the country. So it was a good experience for our, 
for our kids, man. Right now, it's the multi-divisional national duels, which means every division other than Division One. The Unidome used to hold host the one where it had everything: women's, NAIA, JUCO, all the divisions. Man, looking back at that, that was one of a great event that's gone right now. But when you had a chance to wrestle side by side with maybe it was Iowa, Iowa State, and that'd be Wartburg, Augsburg, you guys made it to the finals every single year. That'd be fun. That was a blast. That was one of the best events I've ever been involved with, you know. And I've heard that. That's one of the comments through the Gable Museum that we get all the time because there's a picture on our windows of the Unidome when it was the national duel. I remember I remember that. And, you know, you had all the best teams in every division going at the same time. And so that was that was cool, man. And uh, I look forward to obviously we were lucky because we were we were close right here. Didn't even have to travel to, to go to the dome. But uh, not only did you get to compete against everybody, you got to see everybody else getting to compete against everybody. And so I think obviously Russell fan that was that was heaven right there. Shooting your house is only a mile away from the dome. Yeah, man. I used to just during the breaks take the team over the house. <laughs> so did you really? Yeah, I didn't know yeah, that. We did that a couple of times, and and I did that until uh, my wife put in an old VHS video that my kids made of uh, which was a Super Eight tape back when I wrestled, and they put me on. Uh, she showed them me wrestling, <laughs> which uh, so. Which was fine. I was winning most of the time, but, uh, you know, there was a different style there. They thought, our kids thought, man, you, you were stalling back then. <laughs> you know, back in the day, you get to be in rear standing position, didn't have to put them down. You just stay in rear standing position. You could hold on to an ankle 10, 15 seconds at a time. So anyway, it was fun. And then you only had two years when they split it off to this new format, the multi-divisional national duels, which is going to be upcoming. And I hope everyone has an opportunity to tune into this because this is a fantastic event, but you were there two years before you retired in 2013. What do you remember about those two years when I actually went to this format? Well, I, I, it was one of the most intense events of the year. Number one, that's what I thought about because it was really hard to win, you know? So, but also a great experience for your athletes to be put in that, you know, it was the middle of January or something, a couple months before your national tournament. I thought it was perfect perfect timing. But, uh, you know, I didn't, you know, you it went to different places that, you know, sometimes you're wrestling, there wasn't a huge crowd, but it was great, great wrestling. And the, the noise, I love the dual meet concept because, you know, even uh, in fl the Florida duels thing that just happened, you know, you've seen so much emotion and passion from the teams and the people that were there for their team. And, uh, I the more dual meets we have like that, the better for the sport, I think. When you look back at that and you won seven of those, does it feel like you won a championship when you won that? Because of course you want to win an NCAA title, it's because it has the NCAA tag on it, but does it feel like you actually won a championship? Oh yeah. No, that was a big deal. Every year. That was a big deal. And uh really was a big boost uh for your team at that time, no matter you know. Because uh, it was hard, you know, and anytime you could win a national, it was a national championship. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I felt uh, it was important and I felt we won. Yeah, I thought it was a big deal. And we, you know, you couldn't celebrate long or anything because the next week you got competition. You're going right back into your schedule. But it is what it is, man. It was it was uh, it was a fun ride home when you won.
You were in coaching 37 years, high school coach, assistant coach at D1 program, D3 coach. When did you know that coaching was the lane you wanted to be in? I knew right away. Uh, you know, the people I idolized, my high school coach, uh, Bill Dotson, I, I, I don't know. I just, I liked the the thought of staying within the sport because I love wrestling. Uh, and Chuck Padna, you and I, I mean, he was a teacher coach. And so some of the people I looked up to the most, I know they really, really enjoyed what they were doing. And I I knew I, I wasn't ready to get out of the sport. And uh, I thought coaching was something I wanted to do. And it was. And and. It's kind of nice when you know what you want to do and then you find out this is what I want to do. And, that, and you know, that's all I've ever done in my adult life. When did you know you had some intangibles that could translate to what you're doing as a coach? You know, I, I think one thing I was lucky. Chuck Patton used to take me to clinics as a young athlete, uh, student athlete at UNI, and, I, and he had me teach. And even when I didn't feel like maybe I was ready. But that really helped me get ready. It really helped me break down things so I could not only show the move, but teach it so the kids could understand the move. And uh, I really felt good things about it. I felt I connected. And, you know, so that that preparation and just going through with Chuck Patton, because he broke everything down really well for, for the, our, the college athletes. And that really helped me uh, think that, man, I can do this. What were the bedrocks? of your program? How did you form your philosophy? How'd you go about that stuff? It was a trial and error deal. And it was a trial and error deal. I coached 37 years. It was a trial and error deal all the way to the end. You know, you, you, you need a roadmap. And I, and I had a basic roadmap, you know, I was on a championship team at UNI, the first division two national championship they had. I won a couple titles. And so, you know, I had a general roadmap, but every year, you got to keep adjusting that roadmap. I mean, because even the, even when you have a new team come in, even if you have half the team that's back, you got a new dynamic because you got you got you got half the team that's not. Even if you have just two or three on the varsity that are different, you got a different dynamic. So it was always a trial and error scenario, and uh, you know, the more I did it, the better I felt I got just because I knew what worked for me. And I knew maybe some things that definitely weren't going to work, but uh, it was never perfect, though, man. You it, you always had to adjust and on the fly, even on the fly, even week to week, uh, adjust for certain uh, athletes and certain uh, scenarios that you had uh, coming up. What's that process look like when you like what your coach Chuck Patton is doing? And you know he's an effective coach, but you know you have to have your own formula. How do you take what he does well, use that, and maybe filter out the stuff that you know that you need to do different as a coach? Well, one thing I did know, the coaches I had, they cared off the mat. They cared about the athletes beyond wrestling. I knew that how powerful that was because I felt like, man, I'd run through the wall for those guys because I knew they really cared about me cared about my academics, cared about my family, cared about me personally, helped me after I was done, helped me after I was done. I mean, Chuck Patton's still helping me today. You know, he's still supporting what I'm doing today. And so I knew that was a crucial element of coaching, of really anything that you're going to lead, that you, that you're, uh, that, uh, you know, you care about them beyond the sport or beyond the job or whatever it is. So, that was a big piece of it. And then just, you know, he was good at what he did. And I got to the point where I felt I was good at what I was doing. 
but you got to build a team to build an organization. Uh, you know, if you're a manager, you know, if your employees know that, uh, you know, you're going to the wall for them, more likely they do the same for you and you're more successful. And I, I think it the holds true to the sport. You're a head high school coach, and then you went back to being an assistant coach at the University of Northern Iowa, and then you became the head coach at Wartburg. When did you know you wanted to be a head college coach? Because it seems like that's different than assistant. Maybe what's the difference? Yeah, I was assistant at UNI for eight years. I think maybe the fifth or sixth year, you know, I thought, you know what? I I was already a head coach for six years at the high school level. And don't get me wrong, going to UNI was the best thing I did to be a help me be a head college coach. And so, but five or six years in, I say, you know what? I, I really think I want to pursue trying to find out if I can be a, a good head coach at the college level. And when that happens, are you get antsy? You, you were like, I got to get out of this. No, no, I wasn't. I wasn't at that point. I just, you know, I just wanted to do it. I just wanted to see, I didn't want to get to the point where, uh, I think at that point, I was almost 30 when I got into college coaching and I left high school coaching at an age where I think if you're ever going to go to college coaching, you better do it. I mean, I'm getting older, you know, and so forth. I wanted to work out with the athletes and so forth. And I was probably, I was uh, 36 or something like that. And I say, I want to be a college coach. It's time to start looking. Let's just go through the scenario here because not everyone's going to know the geography. So the University of Northern Iowa is in Cedar Falls, Iowa, which is, what, 15 miles south of Waverly, where Wartburg College is. With that in mind, how did the job at Wartburg present itself and how did you kind of take a D3 program? Because I think a lot of people think the natural progression is D1 coach, D1 head coach. How did D3 get on your radar? Yeah, that's a good question because I that's kind of what I was thinking. I wanted to be a D1 head coach. And uh, you know, those last couple of years I was at UNI, the 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 positions that actually opened up and I actually applied for a few uh or inquired, I should say, uh were a long ways away. And uh you know, the Warburg job opened up you know, there was a tragic, tragic scenario because Dick Walker, the longtime coach, was killed in a car accident. And uh, Bob Siddons, legendary West Waterloo coach, who I knew well, took over for that year. And he had talked to me, a guy named Joe Breitbach, who was a booster at Warburg, had talked to me about and it kind of piqued my interest, you know. But what really came down to one day I came home from UNI and uh I had three young boys at the time, I think 13, 12, and 6, and they were all sitting on the couch with my wife, which was weird, you know, and I kind of walked in and and, uh, one of the boys said, hey, dad, we're not moving because they they were afraid that, you know, if I took a job because, you know, one of them was in Pennsylvania. They're, they're, they're both very far away and they didn't want to move. They didn't want to move, man, and neither did my wife. And uh, they had kind of, it was kind of funny. I mean, I kind of chuckled about it, but, and then, but it really kind of resonated. That's when I said, you know what, maybe I should take a look at this Warburg job, which is right up the road. And so that's what, that's, that's, that was the scenario. I didn't know anything about Warburg. Did, Did you know anything about the program whatsoever going into this job interview when you applied? Yeah, I knew Dick Walker. I had refereed a little bit and actually officiated there. But Dick Walker 
did a home visit with me in uh, high school, coming out of high school. He did a home visit to my home. So I knew, I know, I knew who coach Walker was and I liked coach Walker so forth. And, but I had never really been on campus before I interviewed. Were you aware at all that D three was pretty much an East coast dominated sport for wrestling at that time? They, they were winning the titles. It wasn't a Midwest until you and Augsburg came around. Yeah. I, I, a little bit. I mean, I, you know, what I did know of it, was the best teams were out east, and you know, at that time, I think it was like Trenton State, Brockport, and so forth. And uh, and a number of those guys, like uh, you know, Kenny Mallory, went in the D- Division One. They had some students back then. Some Division Three people were very, very uh, competitive D one wise, and uh, I was in D one. So yeah, I did know where are these guys from, you know. So I was I was aware of some of that. Yeah, and you wrestled D two. So uh, did that help you at all, kind of make that transition, wrestling Division Two, and then moving up to D1, knowing that, hey, you can be competitive at a, a different level? For sure it did. And because I knew we were competitive when I was at UNI, being D2. And so was a lot, a lot of other schools at that time in D2. So, yeah, I did believe that. I did know that uh, that didn't phase me very much because, you know, we, we, when I was at UNI, we were D2, but our schedule was pretty much a D1 schedule. Do you remember your first day on the job at Wartburg? You take this over. I think you have ambitions and wanted a championship. Do you remember the first day and what that felt like? Shoot, I didn't know what I was doing the first day. I was asking I was asking for help every day for a long time. Luckily, I had a good AD and uh, that helped me and uh, uh, athletic secretary that knew everything. But uh, yeah, I was scrambling. I was scrambling and trying to act like I knew what I was doing. I'm trying to learn you know, every, every, every different college you go to, they got different ways of doing things and I needed to learn and, and, uh, uh, we got it done, but it took a while. Set the stage though. Are you by yourself? Do you have an assistant? You flying solo? What's the, yeah, there was no, there was no paid assistant coach. Uh, I did have some good volunteers and, and, uh, Steve Walker, Matt Walker, who was Dick's sons, a guy named Pat Hogan, who I coached at uh, UNI, who was really good. Uh, with the kids and so forth. And so, yeah, they, it was basically all volunteer help, but it, they were invaluable at the time. They knew what was going on. They knew the kids. And, uh, yeah, but and it was like that for quite a while. We didn't get a paid assistant coach, I think, for seven years. And the facilities, inadequate, adequate? Yeah, the facilities were okay. And, and the thing about it is the facilities at that time were okay, basically because – we were compatible with everybody else we were competing against. No one had a really great facility uh, in our conference, for, for instance. We probably had a mat and a half wrestling room. The old uh, nice gymnasium, you know, it was older, but it was great. It, I loved uh, competing in there. It was loud and so forth. So it was fine. <clears throat> How did you approach recruiting? Dude, Recruiting at that time, you know, was, you know, there was no cell phones. Uh, you just, you know, a lot of times I had to call the coach to get the number. It was cumbersome. But uh, back then, the good part about it was I usually talked to the mom all the time because there was no cell phones. And I was good talking to mom. I liked talking to mom. And uh, that's pretty much how I got to know the family was through 
through the mom and then, you know, she'd make sure that the student athlete, what time could I call back when the student athlete would be there and so forth. But and then if you ever did a home visit, you actually kind of already knew the mom and you felt like connection already. So that's kind of how we did it. But you just had to put your head down and work, you know, go see him at school, go see him compete hopefully get them on campus and all that. But it was just a little more cumbersome because there, was, uh, uh, there wasn't as much direct contact with the athlete like you have now, but I thought it was an advantage getting to know him. I always kind of look at like D3 recruiting for, for wrestling, similar to Division One baseball in that, you know, the pick of the litter, the best of the best, they want to go off, they want to get drafted, they want to make millions of bucks and get their pro career started. Similarly to the best of the best high school wrestling, they want to go wrestle division one with that in mind. How did you you approach that knowing, Hey, this kid might, you know, we might be going up against Gable and the Hawkeyes or Bobby Douglas and the Cyclones for a kid. Yeah. I tried to avoid the obvious. I was always looking for the bubble kid, which I called the bubble kid. Maybe they're a bubble in between D3, D2, or D1. You know, maybe they're a walk-on D1 type kid. And uh, that's who usually we were trying to get. I mean, and, you know, it was a battle because most of the kids, and I, and, I don't, and I was a D1 coach for eight years, so I get it. Hey, man, you're D1. And uh, nothing wrong with that, man. If that's their dream, maybe that's what they should do. But uh, I also learned, don't assume that they're going there. Don't assume it. Don't assume it until they tell you flat out, I'm, I'm going to wherever. And so I just put my head down and just kept asking or just kept, uh, you know, being, being. It's almost like the, the catcher waiting for somebody to fall. You know, I'm, I'm going to try to, I'm still there. I'm still there until they finally make their decision. Because sometimes, you know, hey, D1, they think they're going, they think they're going, and then really there's no contact or communication at the end for one reason or another. Maybe they don't need the weight class anymore. Maybe the student athlete didn't do as well at state that they hoped to do or whatever it is. And uh, we just I was just trying to be there steadily, consistently the whole time. This winter, get into the folk style and club wrestling seasons with some fresh new gear from Cliff Keen. Everything you need to hit the mats, from headgear to singlets and warm-ups, knee pads, and workout gear. Cliff Keen is the dependable brand to see you through. And don't forget, on-the-mat subscribers can save big at cliffkeen.com. Go to cliffkeen.com and use coupon code ONTHEMAT at checkout and take 20% off your order. Yep, that's coupon code ONTHEMAT gets you 20% off. Just go to www.cliffkeen.com and click shop. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. 
Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Wrestling. Do you remember those recruiting calls when you said Jim Miller, Wartburg? And what the response was on yeah, the other line? Yeah, I do. I broke a couple phones, actually. Uh, f- no joke. I mean, I actually broke a couple uh, phones when, uh, you know, because early on it was like, hey, coach, I really want to go somewhere where they're good. You know, I, I, my high school team's not very good. I want to, I don't want to go somewhere that's not established and so forth. Thanks a lot, but I'm not, you know, I don't want to come visit even. Stuff like that, you know. So that, that happened a lot, but, uh, you know, as things progressed, it got easier. So you broke them how? You threw them against the wall? No, I just or? I just used the you know the old the old type phones. Oh. You were yeah you were connected with a cord right, and I just I hung it up too hard. Maybe I should say. <laughs> so who was your first big recruiting win? Well, the first rec- couple of first recruits was a guy named Michael Doyle, who's the head coach at Independence High School right now, and and Dr. Eric Kimball, who's our my dentist. Uh, one of the top dentists in this area. Uh, those two were were the early ones. And, and the good thing about the dude, they came just on faith. They came when we weren't any good. They came, you know, they 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 just they came. But I think the some a couple of the biggest ones was a guy named Zane Braggs, who had uh, been out of school for about three years. Zane, I was trying to recruit at UNI. Uh, he was at Waldorf Junior College at the time. Got third twice a specimen and uh he didn't come to you and i he went home and started working in dallas texas and uh when i got the job at you and i or warburg three years later he's one of the first guys i called because i had stayed in touch a little bit with his mom once in a while you know and uh i called and you know he's working he he bought a car he's working he's got bills the whole thing and anyway one day i called and I, I had such a good relationship with his mom because I talked to her the most. But she said, hey, Coach Miller, you should make sure you call him tomorrow. I'll make sure he's here at that time because he just got laid off his job and he needs to go back to school. And so that's what happened. So just uh, a kind of a freaky deal. And he was a game changer. So it was a guy named Tom Smith who was uh, happened to be at Iowa at the time, but he was going to transfer out. He was behind, I mean, he was really good, but he was behind some studs. I mean, a number of them. And uh, <clears throat> there was a couple of guys like that that walked in and they changed our culture. They helped change uh, everything. So, yeah. When you're at that point and you're starting out, where does this drive to win a championship come from? Like, how do you think as a championship coach, how do you have this mentality? I want to win a championship. Where does that come from? Well, I think I just, you know, that was just who I was, you know, I wanted to, if you're going to do it, you know, I'm, I'm in the sport. I won a couple of D2 titles on a, I was on a team title. I just knew what that felt like. I knew how great that was. I knew the payoff was there, you know, and uh, the same payoff for D3, you can have the same payoff, you know, when it feeling that uh, the thrill's not any different. You could go to class 3A, 2A, 1A in Iowa. You go to the state tournament. The 1A kid's just as excited as the 3A kid. They win his title. Team title or individual title. It's the same thing in, uh, in, in, in D3, D2, D1. I mean, there might not be as many people there, but the thrill's the same. I mean, the high is the high. And, um, dude, it was, 
It was awesome. And, and I just didn't see why we couldn't. Why couldn't we do that? And uh, yeah, maybe yeah, man, yeah, it was a dream at first. Yeah, for sure. But uh, I was just convinced that that could happen. I didn't, I didn't see why it couldn't. I didn't see any rule out there that we couldn't win. You know, some, some, uh, is there, is there a reason that we couldn't be on top and so forth? No, there wasn't one. So that, that's where, that's where it started. And that's, uh, you know, that's kind of when the leader believes that it makes it easier for the, for the athletes to believe it. It's not going to happen if the leader doesn't believe it. That's for sure. And so I was just driven to that, uh, scenario. And, and, uh, luckily we had some athletes that, uh, felt be, whether they came in feeling like that or, or they got their mind in that spot after a while, but uh, that's what happened. So when does dreams start to become reality? When does the leader really start <clears throat> believing to your core that, that this is going to happen? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I don't. I never knew. I never thought this is going to happen. I'm thinking this could happen, but I think the point was the second year I was there, we go to Georgia. Who's my guy? Um, Gary Kirtlemeyer. Gary Kirtlemeyer was a Georgia State or Georgia Tech. One of those two. He went. He left Iowa, and he went down there to start wrestling program. And he was a promoter, man. And he sent a thing out that says, hey, anybody wants to come? This is a holiday tournament down here. Everybody's invited. It's the first year they've ever done it. And they actually had, like, people come in. They could eat eat and watch wrestling. It was It was cool. So I just sent our stuff in. And uh, I don't know if they just needed a 16th team, but we were the only Division Three team there. There was 11 Division One teams there. And uh, we end up, uh, bottom line, we end up winning the tournament. And nobody knew who we were. I mean, they had to announce multiple times in the finals, Warburg College is from Waverly, Iowa, because they were getting asked that all at the head table and so forth. But, uh, you know, Indiana, Clarion State, Illinois State at the time had the program. Actually, they were in the finals with us. Illinois State had upset Indiana. And uh, we ended up winning the tournament. And when I, you're, to your point, Andy, at that moment was when we're going home and we're on cloud nine and we stop at Waffle House. I mean, where else are you going to stop down there, man? Waffle House, man. I said, you guys can get anything you want. I mean, our budget could not afford hardly anything. But you guys get anything you want to eat. Man, they were chowing down at Waffle House. And I went out, got my quarters, and I called Steve Walker, who was an assistant. Called him on the payphone and said, he goes, hey, man, how'd you do? Because there's no internet. I mean, no one knew how we did unless you called home. And I said, yeah, we did all right. And he goes, well, how'd you do? I said, we won it. And he, there was a silence. And he goes, shut up, man. Shut the hell up. <laughs> he didn't believe me at first. And I finally had convinced him, hey, dude, we won. I'm not kidding you, man. We won. And at, that was the time. That was the moment driving home. Dude, if we can do this with these many teams here, we, can, we got a chance to win championship. And that, and that was your first year? Second, second year. year. Second. So the 93 season. Yeah. So, uh, and just to make sure people know, Gary Kirtlemeyer was at Iowa for four years. He's the guy that brought Gable on. Mm -hmm. He won two championships there with Gable and then, of course, went to Georgia State or Georgia Tech, wherever he went. But how do you get an athlete to believe they can win a championship? Because that's the trick. 
Like you can believe it all you want, but how do you get multiple people to buy into it? I guess you just start with why couldn't you? You know, why 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 not you? Why not us? That's kind of what the what we were talking about. And as you start to do things like I just explained, a tournament like that, you're, you're, the light bulbs go on. Hey, they start thinking we can do this, you know, and we kind of got on a roll and you had momentum and you started uh, winning it with larger margins or maybe you beat somebody people didn't think you could and so forth like that, like that happened at that tournament. But, uh, you know, and maybe we were fortunate to, to go down there and, and experience that. But hey, that's that's the kind of things that, that it takes to make progress, climb the ladder. You know, I, I, I try to picture it for them. We're climbing the ladder of success, man, with one rung at a time. And uh, that was a big rung right there. Could you tell there was a shift in thinking as you went along? Could you see day by day or the, the progress points? I don't know about day by day, but yeah, there were, there were, there were points along the way that, uh, and I just, the, the one I just talked about was one, but there was many, you know, and you know, can we win? We hadn't won a conference title in 13 years when I got there. Well, then another year, we, the first year we got second. So it was 14 years, but uh, you know, we dominated that, that second year, that very same year, we, dominated the conference and uh all of a sudden you got to hop in your step you got a little more confidence you know and so forth and then we went on and got second in the nationals and then you know it was on it was why can't we i mean it was reality finally won it in 1996 and just put perspective this is how different journeys happen you won 10 titles gable won 15 but that was the only year you guys won titles the same year so i think you were what 43 when you won that title in 1996, I was, and Gable was 47 and won his 14th, and he was going to retire the next year. So you won your first one. Everyone's on a different journey, but you finally get it done. How'd you finally get it done in 1996? <laughs> it was hard, man. It was it, everything. Every time you went trying to win a championship is hard. There's so many things that can go wrong, but we had enough things go right. And enough uh, key matches, which came right down to the end, pretty much. And uh, things just went our way for a change. You know, it felt like it went our way. And and uh, we pulled out a couple big matches, more than a couple, but we pulled out a number of big matches. And and uh, you look up and, by God, we won the title, you know. And that was a hell of a celebration. Win your first title, not only in the uh, sport of wrestling at your at your college, but in any sport. So the first national title in anything in the history of the college, that's a pretty big deal as so a game changer. When you walk up to get to that trophy, first place, do you remember that feeling? No, nah, I was, I was floating up there, man. I was, I was, on, I was on cloud nine, man. And, and, uh, at that time, Robert Vogel was our president. That's the first tournament he ever went to. It's the first national wrestling tournament he had ever attended. It's in Cortland, New York. And uh, I told him, you're our, you're our lucky charm, man. <laughs> lucky charm. And maybe he was. But uh, so everybody was on cloud nine. The parents, uh, the pre from the president on down, the you know, it just changed the perspective of uh, what can happen. And uh, that was a magical time. Was there relief, though, too? Oh, yeah. Big time. Probably the most was relief. More relief than elation, huh? Nah, it, it was both, but it, I would say at the beginning, right away, it was more relief, for sure. And uh, after 
that after, you know, going to get the trophy, a celebration afterward, the ride home, that was all elation. What what was that when you, you get Cortland, New York, but you get back home? What what did it feel like? Were there people there? Yeah, man, there's people, a couple, I don't, know, I don't know, 150, 200 people at the airport, including my mom, kids, you know, but a lot of loyal fans met us at the airport. We got a, when we got to uh, the city limits, there was fire trucks and police cars leading us into the, you know, the old uh, gymnasium. And we had a rally when we got back. I mean, a rally. There was a lot of people there and, and uh, students and community people. It was cool. So that's the first one in 1996. So you have a 22-year coaching career at Wartburg, 10 championships, 21 consecutive conference championships in a row, 165 dual meets in a row over conference competition. When people look at the whole of that, they want to know, how how do you do that? How, how do you make those just unfathomable numbers happen over the course of your career? How does that happen, Jim? Well, I tell you what, man. Trying to get your athletes to perform at or near their full potential, that's hard. You know, I mean, whether you're in a workplace, athletic arena, how do you do that? That that's the key, and it's a seemed like a twenty four seven job. And it's not an easy, it's not an easy concept, you know, to help people compete at or near their full potential. A lot of times, it's even in, even in the pro level. You look at the NFL today, you know, is the Kansas City Chiefs? Hell, they're great. They're great this year, and then they drop way off, and now they're come way back. I mean, it's hard to to consistently stay at a high level, but you know, it's rare, and so. You know, that's why how you do it. I don't know, man. You just keep you just put your head down and, and go to work, man. You got to do things anyway, even when you don't feel like it and day after day. And uh, but you got to deal with adversity. You got to deal with injuries, maybe academics, mental preparation, weight control. Hopefully there's no sickness. I mean, so, you know, it's 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 an ongoing deal every day. And uh, be, then I haven't even mentioned, well, you got to get better in wrestling, you know? So each kid's got a different style. You're trying to help each kid get better in wrestling and strength training and nutrition and everything else. But when we think about that, 22 years, 10 championships, first or second, 18 out of 22 years, there's not much of a drop off there at all. And, and But we see that where maybe a team has a really good year, then they go dip down and then they may come back up. But you didn't have the drop-off. What kind of energy does it take to make sure you don't have a drop-off and you stay on it? From you yeah. and maybe the staff. Yeah, man. That's why, you know, when you walk into work, I, I you know, you've heard my deal. There's 17 steps from my locker to the wrestling room door, but I don't care what I was feeling like. I had to lead. I had to come in with with positive energy. And I even worked out right before practice because it made me energized. It actually physically made me fired up, you know, so I'd make, I'd just time it to walk in and I had a full sweat and I was fired up and I felt good and I was energetic. And that's how I wanted to work at walk into practice. And that's what I did. And, uh, you know, athletes over the years have told me, you know, that really made a difference. You know, to start practice on a on a positive, energized uh, scenario, and the expectation was, let's all let's all let's go, let's have a great practice today, every day. That was kind of the deal, you know. So there ain't nothing easy about it, you know. Uh, 
Do you think people think it is, though? I don't know. Uh, that's why I'd never predict anything. I would never predict we're going to be good. I would never predict. I'd, I'd, I'd always say something like, we got a long way to go. Something like that. And maybe maybe the conversations would differ with my team behind closed doors. Might not be that. You know, once in a while, maybe we got a long way to go. But sometimes, hey, we can do this, man. But I would not be saying that to the press or anything else that predicting, because I knew how hard it would be. Because everything's got to go right, man. And not just with one kid, 10 kids. If you got 10 there, I mean, you think about it. How many times did we, uh, how many times did we have 10 All-Americans, let's say, if that's the standard? How many times did we have 10? I had, all my years, we had one. In Division One. how many times has there been 10 All-Americans? One. One time. And so you're you're talking about how many you're going to get there. Maybe we got six, maybe we had six, seven, eight, nine All-Americans in one. Well, you might have had seven All-Americans in one, but you had your seven All-Americans did better than the other team, six, seven, if they had that many All-Americans. So number one, you had to get a lot of numbers there, and then you had to perform more than the other teams, although we were always trying to get 10. So, but that's how hard it is. One time had all of them, everybody clicked, everybody performed to a high level. Not enough level to be at that level, uh, All-American. How many times you get five national champs? I never did. Had four. But how many times do you think about that? Whatever the gold standard is. It's, it's, it's so hard, man. And like, like I said, there's so many things that can trip you up along the way. It might be something not your fault injury-wise. It might be something somebody doesn't make weight. It might be who knows what it is. Now back in stock, the popular Cliff Keen Beast and Beast Junior backpacks. Finally, there's a backpack that works as hard as you do. Carry all of your essentials from school, practice, dual meets, and tournaments. And you can even customize the Beast with your team's graphics or logo. The Beast backpack from Cliff Keen does it all. Go to www.cliffkeen.com and order your Beast or Beast Junior backpack today. And don't forget, you can get 20% off your order using the coupon code on the mat. This is a limited time deal, so take advantage. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Advantage of it while you can. The best way for team performance, the best way to get the most out of your team performance is to get the maximum amount out of every individual. But to do so, how do you do that within the framework of a team where you've got a couple, three dozen athletes in your room? You're trying to get the most out of each individual, but doing it in a team 
in, in, within the framework of a team? How did you do that? Yeah, well, number one, you delegate. Hopefully you got good people helping you. I did. And you delegate. You got, you know, hey, man, here's here's notes on every kid. And, you know, you're not only trying to prepare each of your own athletes, you're trying to prepare each of your own athletes to defeat the other athlete. So you're watching the other athletes perform on video, and then you're trying to help your kids with their style defeat each every 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 scenario is different, and so you need you can't do it all by yourself for sure at a, at the highest level. So yeah, you you hopefully you got good help to do it. But one thing I'll say, man, is over the years I say trial and error was a part of it, but uh, you know all those years helped all those mistakes along the way helped so you didn't make them again you know how to talk to each kid and getting to know them well enough to know their what they what what you can say that would really actually help them you know i might be stern on one kid but that might not help this one over here i might have to be more pat on the back type uh with him instead of you know so each kid is different and and your approach to each kid is different so it can be complicated at the end of your coaching career, what's one thing that would have helped you most if you had known at the beginning? If you could take what you know at the end, go back to the beginning, what would have helped you the most? Well, I think one thing that did help me the most that I found out, I didn't know it right away, is just don't give up. Don't give up on your kids. I can't tell you how many times someone ended up being one of the best athletes I had that if you'd have thought if you'd have looked at them at the beginning when they walked in you'd say no way no way I mean not even paid attention because there's no way they could climb that success ladder to the top and uh and many did and many did so uh just not giving up on 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 kids just keep encouraging keep patting them back keep loving them keep having a relationship where you care about them on and off the mat and uh, how powerful that is. And I didn't know that at the beginning. And I would say that'd probably be one thing I'm glad I found out. Over the course of 22 years, does it get harder every year to gear up knowing that the only outcome you want is the very best you can get out of this team? Does it get harder every single year? Yeah. I mean, it just seemed like, Think about it. <clears throat> toward the toward the end, there were so many streaks and so many, you know, like you said, you brought up the national duels. Being in the finals every year uh, had 165 conference wins in a row, 21 conference t- tournament wins. In a row. I mean, everything was like, a. it seemed like it was building up. I and, mean, you know, you don't want that to drive you. You don't want that. But you know, it's there. It keeps every week it gets mentioned. Every week you win. Oh, another 100. Now it's 100 and whatever. So that was hard, you know. And and should it be that way? God, I don't hope not. I mean, shouldn't have to like, you know, go by how many you've won in a row, but that, that was the deal. And then my, yeah, my last year, dude, are you going to get 10 or not? You know, um, you're the one that told me only what four coaches have ever won 10 or more. I mean, that added pressure to me, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> and so, 
Yeah, man. And then you don't want the you don't want the athletes. I didn't want my athletes to feel it. I didn't want them staff or athletes to feel we gotta win, but that's kind of that's the way it was. I mean, that's the way we felt. I mean, I know they felt it. We didn't want them to, but it was it was right up to Andy Hamilton writing up stuff and about uh, you know this is it kind of deal, you know. So I, I was it was it, that was a big exhale exhale after the tenth. Uh, we finally won the tenth, and I was out. And that was in Cedar Rapids, an hour right <laughs> from Waterloo, Iowa, just an hour south. Do this interview would be different if you. Only got nine. Yeah, would you, be. You wouldn't be feeling real no, good right now. No, I wouldn't be, man. And uh, <laughs> probably wouldn't even do it. Maybe. I don't know. That's that'd be a bad memory. I'm glad. I'm glad that memory's not there. But but you got it. But let's do the compare and contrast again here. First year, nobody knows who you are. Final year, everyone's celebrating it. You have this monster you've created that the expectation is Wartburg's not only going to win but probably dominate. How do you navigate that water of expectation of you've built something pretty special here and now it's not just Wartburg can win, they will win? Yeah, I mean, I think mostly that's a good thing. Mostly that's, you know, that is that's a good thing to have. I mean, it's kind of like, what would you say, Iowa, Penn State or St. Cloud State or Grandview or whatever. I think most people would see that as a positive. But. There's nothing easy about it. That's the thing, man. There's nothing, there's, there's, there's nothing easy about ever. And I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes along the way, we won and dominated like you're talking about. And it looked easy, but there was nothing easy about it. You, you get back to September when we started all the adversity, the injuries. The, and, and hey, you know, it's not like, are you going to have adversity? You're going to have it. You just don't know how much you're going to have it. That was hard. And that's never going to change, being hard to win uh, at, at the highest level. So, and it's kind of like, and I put it this way, everybody can experience this. And I'm going to just throw this out there because uh, this happened to me. My dentist, I already mentioned Dr. Kimball, but I had to get a tooth extracted. I didn't never, I didn't want to get a tooth extracted, man. I, I, it was my, it was one of my biggest nightmares to get a tooth extract. I never had it done before. And I was supposed to, I, I knew it in May, but it took six months for me to go back. Six months. <laughs> and so, and Dr. Kimball told me, hey, this could happen, whatever, blah, 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 told me all the things. And it was, n- none of them were positive, really. He was trying to just make it seem like, ah, hopefully we'll get through this with no big deal. But anyway, when I finally went in there, finally did it anyway. When I knew I had to, should have done it before. It went in and it was a five minute deal. It was five minutes. I was in and out. I said, you kidding me? And Dr. Kimball said, you know what? That, this one made me look good. This one made me look good. And I thought about that and I wrote him and I said, Hey man, you spent all those years in medical school. You've been doing this for 20 years. How many of these you've done? That one happened to me. Me made it look easy. There was nothing easy about it. There was nothing easy about what you went through to get to that point, to make my tooth come out, make it look easy. That's the same thing in coaching. All the stuff that you got to go through, all the different kids and they're each one's different. Hey, if you got 30 kids, you got potentially 30 problems. If, if they all have just one problem, they all just have one issue academically at home, injury, whatever it is. 
And so that's why it's a 24 seven deal. Even if everything, even if everything's going good, you're worried at home that something might not. <laughs> you're worried when you get a phone call. Oh. <laughs> and even all the way up until the last weigh in. Well, they got to go through skin check and then they got to go weigh in. And then how's their warm up? I mean, all the way to the very end of the last day of the national tournament before you can exhale. Boom. So you, you said something interesting here, but I want to see how this applies, though. So when Andy asked the question about what you learned or what you would have told yourself when you first started out coaching, it seems like when you get good and you understand some coaching things over the course of time, you can probably see something and navigate it within a minute where it might have taken you the whole year to figure out a problem. Is that accurate? Like you, you kind of are able to see things a little bit clearer on how to coach someone. Oh, I've dealt through that problem. I understand what's going on here a little bit more. And it doesn't take the time to be able to go through an athlete and understand what they're going through because you've been through it already. Yeah. Well, I think you can say you can foresee things coming too. Okay. You can foresee, oh, I can see this, this potentially could happen because that's, that's what you're thinking about. What could happen? What could come up? And so you're trying to solve that issue ahead of time. You might be thinking some freshman is homesick, or maybe I heard somebody tell me somebody, I'm trying to foresee that or to solve it before it even comes to me. I don't want him coming in and say, hey, coach, I think I'm going to go home. I'm homesick. You know, he might not say homesick. It's not fun anymore, usually what they say, right? I tried to foresee that and, and uh, head it off before it even happens, like talk to him or get to know him better, you know. Tell them they're doing they're doing fine, even though in practice it might not seem that way to them because they're getting, you know, most freshmen don't do well first year. But uh, that's normal. And if they know it's normal, then it's different Then it's better. Do you remember a transition, though, when it felt like after you won a first championship and you got some street cred at Wartburg, you walk on campus and it, it feels different walking across campus than it did when you first got there? Well, yeah, I think you could ask anybody. I'm sure. After Kale won at Penn State or Nick Mitchell, Grant, or, well, you know, I, I think it is different. And uh, you do have, you, you just help lift up, you know, you know your, your program, your, not only your program, the athletic program. And, uh, you know, when you make the president feel good, that's pretty good. And so, but you don't do that. You don't set out to do that. It's just a byproduct of what happened, which is cool, which is, you know, that's awesome. When you look back at 10, we, we go through all these credentials, though, and I know that hey, we even talked. You coached 22 years, and you thought you won five conference coach of the years, and you actually won 11. Like, you were so oblivious to it all. Do you kind of have to be oblivious to what's happening in order to just have this effective process? Yeah, I think you, you know, I think you got to be almost like blinders on. That's what I felt when I got out. I realized, man, I've had blinders on for so long. And I mean by blinders, that means you got blinders on just about your team, your athletes, your situation. You know, you're not looking big picture most of the time because your biggest, your responsibility is your team, your athletes and so forth. And yeah, I had, I had blinders on for a long time. And uh, which is, I think is, I think this, you got to, if you're going to, be very successful, but uh, I didn't realize it till I was out. 
When did you know you needed to get out? As far as head coach, as far as head coach. Uh, I didn't, I don't know if I ever knew I, you know, I was wore out, you know, when, when I think the biggest thing was or toward the end of my career, when I, when I, when we were about to start practice for the new year and I really didn't feel like starting practice. I really, I mean, once I got there, I was fine. I loved it, but I really wasn't looking forward to it. Like I always had, you know, cause I think because I knew what was coming, I knew that I knew the torture almost of the grind was coming every day, this and that you knew you're going to have adversity. You knew how the challenges and all that. And it was just energy, you know? And, and uh, I, but that was the first thing I could, wow. I was really, I kind of wanted a couple more weeks just to not worry about it, you know, and we were starting and I needed to get going. And you decided to make that announcement before the season started. Why did you think that was important to do? I thought it was important just because, you know, I didn't want to be recruiting and then not knowing I wasn't going to be the coach. You know, I just wanted to, I knew we'd be fine, but I just didn't want to you know, have that because, you know, I get that question. How long you think you're going to coach a lot from parents and so forth? Just wanted to get it out there. And I thought it'd be better for the athletes as well. Just everybody on the same page. Everybody knew it, whatever. I didn't know if that was the right thing or not. Still don't. But I, I you know, I, I don't regret doing it. I think it was I think it was the right thing. So the 2013 season, your final year as head coach felt different than the other 21. Yeah, it felt different just because you knew. Oh, the good thing about it is I actually felt. It gave me renewed energy because I, I could see the finish line. And I, and I was really uh, getting worn out because I was, there was never a break. I, I didn't give myself breaks, and that was probably something I needed to get better at. But I, I had renewed energy because all of a sudden there was a finish line up ahead. You know, even though it was, you know, it was September when we announced it and had a number of months ago, but there was a finish line. This is the last time I'm going, going to this duel and last time the conference, the last time the nationals and so forth. So it actually helped me uh, during the year. Do you got to be a little bit sick in the head to be a championship coach? I don't know, man. Uh, I think, I think if you looked at all the championship coaches, you'd probably say, yeah, that's probably a trait <laughs> no matter what it is, but you got to be. You can't do it part way. You can't. You got to be all in. And uh, that takes a toll. Takes a toll on, you know, family time. Takes a toll on a lot of things. But uh, I don't regret it. That's for sure. What a blast. What a ride, you know. But uh, it's hard. It's hard, man. And uh, it's not. uh, It'd been easier to. Now, you know, I can't ima- I couldn't imagine being mediocre though. I think I could have worked half as much and been mediocre. But uh who wants to be mediocre? You know? What's more difficult than coaching a championship team or coaching your son within your program? What you did with TJ who's the head coach at Loris now. Well, that's always hard, coaching your son. And I think most people, no matter what sport it is, you got a different dynamic there. You got different, uh, you know, you got to go home with it is the issue. And, uh, you know, when you have when we have one of your kids, you, 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 you're always asking how they doing. I mean, people ask your neighbor, ask your friends, ask your relation, ask. They call, hey, how's the team doing? Good. Why well, is TJ? You know, that always came up. 
And uh, because, you know, they care or whatever, but uh, uh, it always came up and it's just a normal part of the deal. But I had just never done it before. And I, you know, so I was good and bad there too along the way. Luckily, uh, TGA uh, career ended up on a high note. What kind of pride do you take in that coaching tree? I mean, the athletes that you coach that not only have gone on and followed in your profession, but gone on and done it at a high level. I am so proud of, of uh, I'm so proud of that, man. And I just take pride every time I hear one of them or I hear from one of them, which, you know, I get calls weekly from the kids that uh, are out there. Uh, Leroy Gardner, Kevin Bradlin at Coast Guard doing a great job. Nick Mitchell, Paul Reedy, all those. And there's, and there's just a lot. And then when you coach a long time, you do have a lot. I mean, fortunately, they loved the sport long enough that uh, they decided to do that for their career. And uh, it's very cool to uh, for me. I, I, I take a lot of pride in that. How about what you're doing now? You're out of coaching in that realm, but you're still coaching. You do some public speaking, motivational speaking. Man, you're uh, you're dynamic. You've done a, a great job. I recommend it. You're one of. The, I think you're the best motivational speaker out there. But when did you know that was going to be a lane you wanted to travel? I didn't. I didn't. You know, and I messed around with it my last number of years as a head coach. But once once I retired, I got a lot more opportunity. People just say, "Hey, would you come?" It was just word of mouth, and uh, I found out, you know, I enjoy this, man. I enjoy helping people, number one, but I also enjoy inspiring people. And that really wasn't doing anything different than I was doing before, except, you know, I'd actually go home after the event when I spoke, and it was over. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but that was a big deal. I didn't go home with it. I didn't take it home with me. I didn't have an athlete I'm worried about from that event or, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was invigorating for me. And, uh, I really, uh, have enjoyed doing that a lot. And so, you know, it's the same thing, whether it's business, athletics, so many comparative things that you're doing when you're trying to build a championship wrestling program as you're trying to build a great organization or a workplace or whatever, you know, you're trying to improve the culture and, uh, I think I hit a number of points when I'm talking about what they want to hear about. And sometimes I don't know how it's done, but I've really enjoyed it. And uh, it's been fun. This is my final question, unless Andy has any has anything. But someone came up to you after one of your speeches and said, do you have a knack for winning? When he said that to you, what yeah. was your thought? Yeah, man, that was a that was a. Sometimes you get questions like you've never had before. Obviously, I've never, that was a question I never had before. Do you just have a knack for winning? And my immediate response without even thinking about it, I, I said, no, but I got a knack for getting back up after I got knocked down and going again. That's what I had a knack for. That's what I think if you could, if you could uh, put my career into one sentence, that'd be it. I had a knack for getting back up and going again after we got knocked down. And when, and when, you know, you doing that along with your athletes, you got a chance to really be better, be good and climb the ladder and all that. But, uh, you know, we're all wrestling with something, man. Everybody's a wrestler kind of in my mind. And that's one of the things I talk about when I'm speaking, because we're all wrestling with something and we're all battling something. And so learning how to do that, learning how to deal, learning how to get back up again is a key element of, of uh, success in whatever you're chasing. Jim, the floor is yours. If you have anything additional you want to add, this has been awesome to have you on the podcast, but anything you want to add? 
I love wrestling. I love wrestling and I love uh, how, how the uh, wrestling can help everybody. And whether you wrestled or not, you know, it's a sport that's got the best life lessons in the world. And, and uh, I'm glad I'm still in it at the Gable Museum. No predictions from me, but you heard it from Jim Miller, 10 championships at Wartburg. It's hard to do for Andy Hamilton, Jim Miller. I'm Kyle Klingman. You have been listening to On the Map. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.